the gospel lesson comes to us this morning from the good news according to St. Matthew, the very last verses of his gospel. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And this is the gospel of our Lord. And just a word of uh, explanation, uh, this sermon is meant to be sort of an intro to a very long sermon series. I'll explain that in a second, or maybe not very long. Uh, Presbyterians sometimes preach Romans for 10 years in a row, so it's not that long. But we're going to look at also the Great Commission this morning just a little bit. Uh, as the kids are hanging out or heading out, I was thinking a lot uh, this week. You've started to see people taking pictures for their graduation ceremonies uh, across the country. Graduations are starting to happen uh, for high school seniors, uh, for colleges as well. And uh, most of our New York City kids, if you're in the public school, will be graduating here in the next couple weeks. And what's going to happen at graduation, there's lots of things that happen, of course. But one of the things that happens, of course, is graduation speeches. Uh, and mostly... These are, are, are pretty hard to sit through, uh, but sometimes they're helpful. And what someone always does, it seems like, when they have a chance to give a graduation speech is to try to sort of, if they don't boldly say this is the meaning of life, they, they're trying to give you a sort of idea of what the purpose of your life is, what it's supposed to mean, and along with some helpful advice for how to live in light of what most matters in life so you may hear things like this at a graduation speech, or you just may think of it uh, in general. Life is a problem to be solved. Life is like a dream. Life is a prayer. It's a verb. Life is a hustle. Uh, sometimes life is a game we don't know the rules to, or it's a balancing act, or it's a train wreck. Uh, that, that, that graduation speech would be tough, but life is a bundle of things. Uh, I think it's great to remember that life is a highway, and you're going to ride it all night long. Um, a few New York City uh, residents have said what they think the meaning of life is. Truman Capote, who's a Brooklynite, said life is a moderately good play with a badly written third act. Oof. Uh, he didn't get invited back to that graduation speech, I don't think. Uh, Christopher Morley, who's a New York City poet, said life is a foreign language and all men mispronounce it. John Lennon, who was, of course, a late-life New Yorker, said life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. And I think we hear all these messages is because for most of us, uh, life is, it's kind of a mystery. We're not sure exactly what it's all about. We are busy doing other things and not often thinking about what it means. And so at these big milestones, we want to talk about it. We want to reflect, like, what am I going to do and why? What is the purpose of my life? We're answering the question, what is a good, meaningful, rich life? And what are we supposed to be doing in light of it? Now, I'm not going to read this whole thing. I have here always printed more than I end up sharing with you. But uh, there was an article in Time 
the New York Times Magazine in 2010, and it was talking about 20-somethings. It says, what is it about 20-somethings? And this is just a few selections from the article. The 20s are a black box. There's a lot of churning in there. One-third of people in their 20s move to a new residence every year. 40% move back home with their parents at least once. They go through an average of seven jobs in their 20s, more job changes than in any other stretch. Uh, marriage occurs later than ever, and this is where the sense of possibilities come in. They've not yet tempered their idealistic vision of what awaits in your 20s, and this is the article speaking, so don't get mad at me. Quote, the dreary, dead-end jobs, the bitter divorces, the disappointing and disrespectful children. <clears throat> none, of, none of them imagine that this is what the future holds for them. They mostly say, if you poll them, that I'm sure, I'm very sure that someday I will get to where I want to be in life. And yet they wonder if they are living their life according to a deeper purpose. One 25-year-old named Jennifer said, it's somewhat terrifying to think about all the things I'm supposed to be doing in order to get somewhere successful. Follow your passions, live your dreams, take risks, network with the right people, find mentors, be financially responsible, volunteer, work, think about or go to grad school, fall in love, maintain personal well-being, mental health and nutrition. When is there time to just be and enjoy? And then adds a 24-year-old from Virginia, there is pressure to make decisions that will form the foundation for the rest of your life in your 20s. It's almost as if having a range of limited options would be easier. And I thank you for my sermon material, 24-year-old from Virginia. Indeed, a limited range of options, a focus, an understanding of what actually is the meaning of life. Do I just do all of these things that fit into the advice columns and all the aphorisms and all the graduation speeches and all the slogans and all the bumper stickers and all of the, all the things I can try to do? Or do I just boil my life down to a single purpose and essence and make sure that what I'm doing flows out of that and flows back into that and is moving towards this. What is the meaning of our life? What's the story? If we're in the middle of it, what's the beginning? What's the end that we are trying to see happen? We look for happiness and authenticity in all sorts of different places Again, in a, as a personal collage of inspirational quotes, perhaps. We treat life often like tourists in that way, uh, as a series of acquisitions or things we can experience that we can check off our bucket list, that we can craft our own personal story. Or maybe there's something we can conserve or save from the past or something we can build or do or use in our own power and strength that will make life worth it. And I'm just going to make a flat argument this morning. Life is best lived, your real purpose, your real meaning, is to live life as a pilgrim. To live life as pilgrimage. And I know it's a weird word, it's kind of a religious word, I've wanted to find a different one for a long time. We're not talking about the colonial pilgrims that were here in the Northeast. Pilgrimage, what they were talking about in the scriptures that you heard today that we are here, strangers and aliens, one of the ways to translate. We are pilgrims here in this earth, seeking a homeland, seeking a city that is to come. And pilgrimage is not like tourism. It's not like a vacation. Pilgrimage is an intentional journey that you set out on toward a sacred destination. Knowing that the pilgrimage itself is a part of the point that everything that you experience along the way is actually meant to be included in your own transformation. You welcome all that happens as something that's shaping you on your way to the sacred 
destination. This includes the stones that you stumble on and the storms that will arise and threaten you. But life is best lived as a pilgrimage, a journey toward a sacred destination in which every step is significant. Every moment and experience is integral to our own transformation because pilgrimage itself transforms us. And that's what makes it more powerful than just travel or vacation or treating life as a tourist or as your own personal little collage of inspirational quotes and aspirations. Pilgrimage, because we're attracted to something greater that we don't have yet, it's, it sets us out to seek and to keep moving and to long and to move and have a destination in mind. And it opens you up to all that happens on the way because you know that the pilgrimage is part of the point. It's part of what it means to be transformed, to be remade by the journey into the image of that thing that you're seeking. And this begs the question of pilgrimage to where? Pilgrimage to where? See, the sacred destination we choose matters. And I would argue that in most of those graduation speeches, they're trying to give you something meaningful and deep or true and good and beautiful, worth centering your life on, worth seeking, worth sacrificing for. And so the sacred destination that we choose does matter. Which shrine that you're walking to matters. See, in the old days, they sought to make pilgrimages to places where Mammon, the god of money, was worshipped. Or Ares, or Eros, all these different gods. Gods of power and of war and of harvest. Today, we don't use such explicit language, but we are told, again, to seek and to give our lives to security or the making of money or individual liberation or justice, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And see, this is the power of any sacred destination that we set out in front of us and that we decide to pursue is that that destination shapes the kind of pilgrims that we are. This is just the way that it is. This is what it means to have a sacred destination with the power that draws people to it. See, they make you the kind of person who will fit in when you arrive to that place. If you seek power and money, the second you step out the door, the inclinations of your heart, the things you notice on the way, the people you're journeying with, the destination you're going to, makes you slowly more and more a vengeful or a greedy person. So that when you arrive, you'll fit right in with all the other pilgrims and the God that you seek. This is simply built into the laws of the universe. These are the rules of the road, and so we better choose our destination carefully and choose it again and again and again as we wander off the path into any of the number of enemies that await for us on the side of the road. And this is what I want you to hear and hear, hear again for the next few months in this season of Pentecost and the spirit has been poured out in his church and the church has a mission and a purpose. I want you to hear again and again as we consider pilgrimage that our destination, our destination is God himself. But specifically, it is the God who is Shalom. And so life is best lived for you and for me day by day and to choose it again and again intentionally to make a pilgrimage toward Shalom and the God who is Shalom. To make an intentional journey in which every moment and experience become integral to us because every step of this journey, even the most painful, 
will be the means of our own transformation into a people of shalom. And if we make this journey with God as our guide and with one another as companions moving to the same place, we will become, we will be transformed into a people full of shalom, prepared for shalom, ready to walk right in and look like God and share his shalom. This might be a good time to ask, what is shalom? What does it mean? And I love this one uh, Reformed theologian, Cornelius Plantiga. He has a, a wonderful, concise de- definition of shalom. And just for fun, for the next couple months, every time you read peace in the New Testament, just trans- trans- translate it shalom. It works. That's what it comes from. Shalom, though, is deeper than the mere absence of conflict, he says. The webbing together of God, humans, and all of creation The webbing together of all of this in justice, in fulfillment, and in delight. We call this word peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, universal wholeness, universal delight. It's a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied, natural gifts are fruitfully employed. It's a state of affair that inspires joyful wonder. As its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights, shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Sounds pretty good, right? We were made by the God who is in his nature, shalom, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This being, this God who lives in perfect eternal embrace, Father, Son, Spirit, interplay, exchange, three and yet perfectly one, who made all things, everything you can touch and see and those that you can't see, out of the overflow of the Trinitarian love and generativity. The God who is Shalom made the cosmos, this planet, you and all people and creatures to dwell with delight in him, in the kingdom of God here on earth, a treasured place, and a treasured existence. This is your true source. This is your beginning. You heard Genesis 1. This is where we began. This is your original goodness that you've wandered away from. This is your actual image in the mirror when you think about the image of God or the image of Christ or being remade in his image. This is who you are meant to be. This is your deepest and truest self. It's your origin, it's also your destination. It's the home you've wandered away from and for which you most deeply long to return. And so we're going to spend the next few months exploring the implications of the life of faith and of just life as a life best lived as a pilgrimage toward shalom. This is just a hint at what comes next week and starts next week. But to do so, we're going to walk through an actual playlist. You guys been on a road trip? Anyone going on a road trip this summer? Who likes to make playlists, right? They're good. Uh, Pastor Brian made me a, a nice playlist. It's called Back in the Day. It's just a bunch of 90s grunge and rock. It's fun when I feel like doing dad rock, you know, reliving my teenage years. It's good. I took my kids out to California for my sabbatical five years ago. I made a Cali playlist. I still listen to it. It's got all kinds of good stuff on it, you know, all those bands from the 70s, Eagles, everybody else. And then it's got uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. We threw a little Snoop Dogg in there. It's got all kinds of fun stuff, right? You 
put on a playlist because it gets you in the mood of where you're going. It's supposed to help you on the journey. I have one that's six hours long for when I go to New Hampshire and I want to fall asleep the whole time that's just the hits, you know, just bangers. Just keep it going to help me stay awake. Well, we're going to look at a playlist that God has given for pilgrimage. They're called the Psalms of Ascent, Psalms 120 through 134 in the Bible. And we hope this playlist will help us get into the nitty-gritty, the details of walking through the life of pilgrimage. I'm calling them a playlist for pilgrimage because they were, in fact, songs that God gave people to sing. And they're called the Psalms of Ascent because there were three major festivals in Jerusalem, in the city, up on a hill, the city of Shalom, Jerusalem. They were making a pilgrimage to the city of Shalom. The people were coming together. They set out from their homes and from their tribes and their tents, and they came up to be a bigger people together, to gather and invite their neighbors as they went along the way. And they came up to these festivals of Passover and Pentecost and the Day of Atonement, and these were the songs God gave them to sing on the road, on the way up to the mountain. You'll see next week, it starts with, to you I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where's my help going to come? Up there, when I get there. That's where it's going to be. And so they made a pilgrimage up a hill to meet with God in his city and his temple to worship him along with others, to live out shalom for just a moment for a feast. And then, this is where it gets interesting, they were sent home again to live differently in their ordinary life, in their daily routine, to spend their time trying to live out shalom in their little place, their little kitchen tables and in their fields and in their small towns and their city councils, to try to live out shalom and then to invite people into this way of life and say, well, you have to, this is good. You know, it's nice for us to be merciful to one another and to not charge interest and to, to, to give to the poor. And yes, these are the things we do, but you have to come to the source and you have to see what it's really all about. Come with me to that next festival. Let's go up the hill. Let's be together. Let's make a pilgrimage. Join me on this journey. And of course, this is what Christianity is about. You heard it in Hebrews said that from the beginning, people were sent out. Adam and Eve, go into the world. Be fruitful and multiply. Abram, we heard, leave your hometown. Go. Moses, leave. Go. Israel, leave Egypt. Go. Jesus said, leave, follow me, let's go. Then he goes up a mountain to die on a hill so that we never have to fear whether we have a God of love and shalom again. We never have to fear that it's just a God of blazing fire and wrath who will hurt me. Instead, we know because we look on the hill and we see one who has died, a savior who died for us, who conquered death and all of our waywardness and all of our disillusionment, he's there with his arms open on a cross, welcoming us to embrace us and to bless us. And when we come to that hill again, we find him here as the disciples get, did, raised from the dead, indestructible, and they're on the hill. It says in our passage, come up to the mountain, the one he told him to go to. They meet him on the mountain, and there he is, and he sends them back down. He sends them out. He meets with them, gives them a taste of shalom of their future, indestructible flesh, no death, all things healed. Yes, it's coming. Now I'm giving you the spirit to be your compass and your guide and I'm sending you out. And he says to this, every authority, every power in all of the heaven that you can't see and on earth that you can see, it's all been given to me. Everything is good. I got you. I'm in charge of all that happens in the universe. This promise of his rule, his kingdom, his reign, his shalom. He says, therefore go now, go back down the mountain. 
and make disciples of all nations. Disciples teach them. This is people who live the way of life under this teacher. How are you going to make disciples of all the nations? Not just Israel, not just Jerusalem, not just Judea, not just your people, not just your kind, but everyone everywhere. How are you going to do this? You do it by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you baptize them and initiate them into a new people, a new, uh, a new communion, and a new destination. You give them a new story, a new beginning. And then as they grow, you teach them carefully to observe every single thing that I've taught you and commanded you to do. As you do this, this is your pilgrim duty to go out and to inaugurate other people, to initiate, to invite them to become pilgrims, to enter in through baptism, and then to decide they're going to try to learn their whole life how to obey him in every last detail, to work it into all of their lives and their relationships and their decisions and their thinking and their longing. And he says, as you do this, this pilgrimage, as you make other pilgrims, behold, I will be with you always. Everywhere you go, everything you do, Every time you wander off, every time you stumble, every storm that arises, every time someone says, no, I'm not coming with you, I don't have anything to do with that stuff. Every time someone says, really, can you teach me? Let's try it. Everything, I am with you always, all the way to the end. All the way to the end, until I see you at the doorstep of this new city, this new heavenly Jerusalem, this shalom with all of God's people that I still have out there to save and to bring to this universal healing and joy and delight. Behold, I am with you until you all get here. I'm going to guide you here until the end. That's the end of your story. That's the telos. That's the purpose. That's the meaning of your life. And we struggle to believe that our life has meaning so oftentimes. But he has given you, he's given you great dignity to be a part of this, his story. This, his spreading of resurrection life, of new hope, of new purpose, to give you a new story and a new journey, a new beginning and a new end. He's gonna teach us in this pilgrimage, not only to handle all the things, when you get to the Psalms of Ascent, I'll let I think Brian's preaching next week. I'll let him handle some of the details of this. But we'll skip through the, and we're going to go through the Psalms. You're going to see all sorts of ordinary things in your life. Failure, sorrow, seasons of disappointment, great hope, uh, how to handle money, how to handle conflict. All these things come up in the songs because it's about life. It's about a journey. But they're in the context of knowing why, knowing how, knowing what to do because you understand the main purpose of your life. And here he says to go teach them everything I've commanded you. And, you know, we have a lot to learn from Jesus still, don't we? It's not just about learning new knowledge. It's about being transformed into a shalomed people. And he teaches us all sorts of things, this ongoing transformation for individuals and communities and cultures. Jesus said things like love God and love neighbor. Happy are the poor and the meek and the merciful and the peacemakers and the persecuted. He tells you you are light and you are salt in your anger, don't sin. Don't retaliate. Pray for your enemies. Give to the poor. Fast joyfully because your life consists in more than just food or clothing. Don't hoard. Be generous. Don't judge others. Practice humility. There are so many things about this pilgrim life to learn together. But we are sent with this purpose back out. And here you are this week. Ascended into the heavenlies. Heaven and earth collapsed just for a moment in a thin place. 
hearing the words of God, tasting the food of God, being with the fellow pilgrims, so that you were sent out throughout your week to go and gather others, to live out, to learn to obey all that he's commanded. And in this sharing of shalom with people, to invite them to see and then to come back week by week to gather other pilgrims. That's what the Great Commission is about. The church's purpose. And if and when, by God's grace, we have more stewardship of this property in the near future, it better remain true to its mission and purpose, which is to make disciples of all nations. As we go about our pilgrimage, to remember our true purpose isn't just that we can have a wedding ceremony in here or have a nice picnic on the lawn. It's to make sure that our neighbors and all the nations that live in this city begin to be invited into the pilgrim journey to know that their life has real deep meaning, purpose, and dignity, and it is to be a part of God's shalom. This is our mission, and Jesus says, you're going to go out on this mission, and of course, most of these disciples were martyred. It's not to say that the pilgrim life is easy. You've probably heard me say that the word travel comes from the old word travail. You know, it's a, it's a hard thing. It's troublesome sometimes. But he says, behold, don't worry, I'll be with you always, all the way until you get to the finish line, all the way to the end. See, pilgrimage is that image of the life of faith is one that requires us to move, to leave behind the familiar of our homeland, to seek new things in a new homeland, to journey through beauty and through peril with a fellow migrant community, walking in the way God teaches us and leads us spreading the good news and strange habits and fruits of a loving life with God and neighbor into the world around us as we pass through, while also making room for many others as our little wandering tribe turns into slowly a throng from every nation. What you most need in life, friends, and what we hope and are excited to spend some few months considering together is to understand that your life, whatever you do with it, is meant to be a pilgrimage toward God and toward his shalom, to share our sorrows and to share our joys, but to remain open to wherever the journey might lead, both as individuals and as a church. This is real life. This is the abundant life that Jesus promised. This is the life of faith. It's a life of pilgrimage. May you continue to take steps towards God and his shalom this day, this week, and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.